This is a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. <laughs> that is the closest we've ever come to not going on air. Um, I don't know if um, if you heard that. If you, no, of course you haven't. We've just come on air. Um, but it was all kicking off in the fan club clubhouse. Um, I've got bacon in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> basically, we are uh, continuing to uh, continue our quest to get the very best guests um, for you to listen to on air for our listeners to hear. And uh, we've got some absolute bangers coming up in the following weeks. But uh, it was kicking off in here because we were really pushing the envelope. Now, <laughs> talking about pushing the envelope, oh, we've got. Uh, I've got an envelope. <laughs> <laughs> God, uh, yeah, so so oh, we, this is, me, uh, me and Nat were literally talking till um, three seconds to midday. Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, nearly didn't press the button, but we did, and uh, just happened. as we pressed it, and we went on air as 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 we do every week. Um, uh, Natalie uh, gave me. A withering look, <laughs> as if to say, "Well, you got away with it this time, Helm." But um, never not been on time. Never not been on time. Never not been live, except for the series of pre-recordings. Pre-record. Uh, not pre-recording this week, though. Even We're though live. it was an option, but uh, but we've actually we've gone for it. We've really got. It's been uh, basically. Nick has been filming, but he's taking this his day off. I'm filming the uh, second series of Reluctant Landlord, uh, Ramesh Ranganathan's uh, TV. Yeah, I guess it's a sitcom. Um, and uh, uh, and we thought that we weren't going to do it live this week and we'd have to pre-record it sometime. No, we actually, we thought it was going to be a greatest hits for most of the week, didn't we? I think we did. And then suddenly... It, and we it had a guest lined up for today and then we were going to bump them to Monday and pre-record on Monday. And then... Uh, they couldn't do that. They couldn't do that. And then we realised we could do today. And then we did that today and then we phoned him up and said, oh, are you busy? And he said, I'm not busy anymore. I've arranged a big lunch. And we were just like, oh, is it an important lunch? He said, no, it's just me at home. But I've bought <laughs> a loaf of bread for it and plenty of cheese. And uh, I've ordered a breville maker uh, from Amazon. And I actually have to be in Friday morning because that's when they said they're going to deliver yeah. it between the hours of 8 a.m. and 1 p.m. Which would cover said, the... the time of our show which would cover like the beginning of the time of the show I suppose you know if it arrives at 1pm then don't you think that you can probably just about yeah just run you could run and make it you know from one side of London to the other and he said uh, yeah but it's a bit early for a lunch he said he said it's a bit early for lunch and I'm not actually going to be able to do it I said well can you bump the lunch to after 2pm and he said do you know what I'm just going to bloody go and cancel that breville and he did as well, and uh, we'll find out who did, who that was. Uh, and we later found, on. Uh, he told me later. Do you know what he did with that bread? What's that? He went along and fed the ducks. Oh, what a lovely guy! Well, it's actually girl. very bad for the ducks. So is it feeding for cans? Anyway, he'll be on later, or she? It's a he. It's a uh, of course, it's a he. Uh, oh, it's club. That's fan club. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're, they're the only they're the only people available. White white men. <laughs> um, you laugh, but it's true. I mean, we're trying to do our we're trying to do our bit for diversity, but uh, the dance group. 
uh, the dance group. Uh, we should get them Diversity. on. We should get them on. Oh, actually, I suppose that, they'd be the worst guests to have on, wouldn't they? They could be doing a dance. We'd be enjoying it. We'd be no, enjoying one it. no one would be able to. They might hear the occasional, you know, um, uh, shuffle or, mm. or body wob- pop or, or, or wobble as someone bumped into a piece of uh, <laughs> <laughs> equipment in, uh, in this very cramped environment. It's very cramped for a it'd fair, dance. It'd be terrible group. for a, a dance troupe. Uh, I can want to do like a backflip, but they'd probably hit the head on that. It's got a hard surface. It's, it's, it's got to be t- so so many corners, so many yeah, hard surfaces. So you corners. don't really want to. Anyway, I'm Nick Helm, and I'm Nathaniel Metcalf, <laughs> and you're listening to Nick, Nick and Nats. Nathaniel Metcalf. <laughs> always do your surname now. Um, should do. <laughs> so, That's what you should do in stand-up, isn't it? You should always say your name at the end, <laughs> so uh, people remember you. <laughs> I say it at the beginning as well. Hi, I'm Nick Helm, I'm and you t- should tell people to follow you on Twitter, shouldn't they? And um, give them your, your Twitter handle so and, people can write it down and also while they're watching the gig. Keep supporting live comedy that, and follow good. me on Twitter and Insta, which <laughs> I have, I believe is short for Instagram. Instagram. Um, so, uh, um, oh, I just feel like this is a really odd episode already. Uh, I'm, I'm talk- enjoying it. I'm talking in an unusual voice. <laughs> One that isn't my own. If it's the first time you've listened to Fan Club... Um, uh, we do insist that you take your trousers and pants off. <laughs> uh, 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 it's just for the first time you listen to it. Everyone that's listened to it has done it so far. So if it's the first time you listen to Pan Club, not every week. Doesn't just matter. Just this week. Just the fir- it's, it's just for first time. So if, if, if you're in an office or on a bus. <laughs> Or if you listen back to it on iTunes, you know, maybe someone's told you about it. Because the first rule of fan club is tell your friends tell about your fan friends club. Tell your friends about fan club. Second rule of fan club, please, for the love of God, tell, tell your, your friends, friends about fan club. Yeah. Third rule of fan club is tell your friends about fan club. Interestingly, the, uh, uh, all of the rules for fan club are tell your friends about fan club. Mm-hmm. But, um, but when you get up to, something funny happens when you get up to rule 57. And that is, if it's the first time you've listened to fan club, and you listen to it now. You do have to remove your trousers and pants. pants. Uh, socks can stay on. If you want, optional. It's up to you. I, I don't, don't mind, really, if they do or don't. I don't mind if... Uh, if uh, of course, when I take my pants off, my socks come off anyway because uh, I use them to stuff my pants. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, socks can, socks can come off. But, and, and don't write in complaining. I don't make the rules. No. I do. So, um, uh, yeah, so uh, if you're on a bus or if you're operating heavy machinery, you shouldn't actually be listening to the show if you are uh, operating heavy machinery. Uh, because, not because it sends you to sleep, but because some of, some of our opinions are so damn anarchic, you know, that uh, you, you might spasm mm. and, um, and, and, and use a crane as some sort of uh, wrecking ball. Mm. Uh, for instance, uh, I think Monsters, Inc. is average. <laughs> oh, have we got an explosion sound effects? Nice. We've got a... Uh, no. That'll do. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Gunshot with cock. What's your What's your most controversial opinion, Matt? I don't know why I'm talking like this. This isn't it's my voice. most controversial opinion. What's your mo- <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. What? Hang on. What? <laughs> Club on Fubar Radio. What you're actually thinking, Matt? Never say it. Don't um, say it. Okay. Just, uh, I, I messed up. There. I, I shouldn't have. Uh, for the people that have just tuned in, uh, um, 
Nathaniel has a very dark <laughs> private life. Uh, some of his opinions are not worth it. Let me just rephrase the question before you answer it. <laughs> what is your most controversial uh, opinion about films? Oh, I'm sure I do have some. Thank God I've rephrased that. Um, <laughs> I remember once watching. Let's just say Nat's still pushing for a hard Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I once saw Des and Mel, the uh, Des O'Connor. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry about that. Nick's, um, Nick's trying to have his headphones posted. Turned out, well, I, what I did was I whispered, I'm a little bit quiet, right into, next a, to, into the microphone. Right, 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 it's the microphone. But it's unusual for me not to pay attention to you while you're talking, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, it's been so... Oh, it's filming. It's awful. So, uh, go on. I was going to say, I saw an episode of Des and Mel once where the guest was... I'm just going to eat some bacon and listen. I can see you. I can see. Um, the guest was Jim Davidson, and they said... Uh, oh, wow. And they said, Jim. And it's a really light-hearted show, Des and Mel. Uh, audience full of pensioners. Um, and they say, Jim... Here's a funny thing. What do you think of the current government? And he was like, oh, they're a shambles, aren't they? And he's like, yeah. And everyone laughed. And he said, what would you do if you were prime minister? <laughs> <laughs> and you think, don't, don't ask Jim Davison. Come on, Des. And then he said, then immediately Jim Davison went and goes, well, probably give a bit more money to the pensioners. Stand innovation, of course. And you think, well, you're absolutely playing to the crowd there. And he goes, and then I pull up the drawbridge. And he was just, and also then got another standing ovation. <laughs> Nick needs some tissues, I think. <laughs> I was drinking tea. I was drinking herbal tea when you. Uh, uh, oh god! Oh fucking hell! Was it live? <laughs> Must have been, I think. They certainly didn't there's cut a, it out. There's a man. <laughs> Oh my god. What would you do if you're Prime Minister for the day? It's like not not actually a serious question. That's, they should do one of them Channel Five clip shows, shouldn't they? Yeah. Retrospectively, worst <laughs> worst questions to ask people on live TV. Something like that. Fifty retrospectively <laughs> most awful moments of live TV. Jim Davidson. What would you do if you're Prime Minister? <laughs> well You think you think like you know, you think it's gonna be a light hearted answer. And it did start off quite... Started like, quite light-hearted, <laughs> or certainly quite positive. Double standing O's. Fucking hell. Um, but it does make you go, yep, yeah, I mean, that's the old pillar for it again. Just gone. Yep, yeah, we agree with that one as well. <laughs> Fully on board. Well, maybe... If he ran for Prime Minister, he'd probably he'd get in. <laughs> he probably would get in. <laughs> he probably would, yeah. He probably would get in. It's, it, um, I'm not saying that... Um, I just... I know that there's loads wrong with Jim Davidson in terms of uh, politically and um, what you mean, like current climate and all mm. of that. Well, not just current climate, the climate for the last th- four years. <laughs> but it must be it must be thirty years. But he must have been kind of like during the eighties, <clears throat> a quite a controversial character then as well. Yeah. But um, uh, I, but I haven't really ever seen him do. Um, I've seen him do stand up on BBC when they gave him his Billy Connolly style series. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that's obviously TV. I've never seen one of his sort of like videos. No, I haven't. When the you know like that were all like eighteen certificate, and um, and also uh, just talking about like comedy in general. When your act fails to live, uh, do you know what I mean? When society has moved on from your act, 
and I'm not talking from personal experience, <laughs> but when you when when uh, personal when society has moved on from your act, it's kind of like oh, what what are you meant to do? It's kind of like a crazy thing. But um, I don't know. I've, I've I know Bernard Manning is the was the worst of the worst in terms of racism. I don't I don't know. I know that Jim Davidson is incredibly sexist. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really watched his acts. I don't know enough about Jim Davidson to just have that knee-jerk reaction that, mm. oh, he's a racist. Mm. Bob Monkhouse, who is one of the greatest comedians mm. that has ever lived, one of the greatest comedy minds of British comedy, Bob Monkhouse. And, you know, you judge some of his jokes by today's standards. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's not, it's not um, being an apologist for it. But it is also just kind of like everything needs a context. But with Jim Davidson, I don't know anything about Jim Davidson because I've always just steered clear of him uh, mm. in the pub, <laughs> down the street. <laughs> uh, and sometimes I'll see him at the bus stop and I'll think, I'll wait for the next one. Um, but uh, no, but a lot, it was weird because when we were growing up, a lot of my friends' um, dads, and I didn't have many friends, so my friend's dad. <laughs> <laughs> had uh, had uh, you know like Jethro DVDs, Roy Chubby, I don't. And Jethro isn't isn't a racist. He's just uh, an incomprehensible Cornishman. Um, but um, what well, you, you're on your phone now? Well, I've got a message from our guest that I was going to show Natalie. Oh right. Yeah. What he's cancelled? No, 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 no. Oh no. Um, it's, now it's. No, no, what? It's just dead air. It's just like me. Just talk out loud. Call him from your phone and I'll speak to him. Okay. Siri, call our guest. Um, <sighs> can you not do this? It's much <laughs> This is just like. This is like. I'm doing it. Okay. I'm doing it an explosion. It's just number. And number eight. And, and uh, nine. Nine is, nine is clapping. Oh, we've got loads. You covered that very well. No, I think we got away with that. It's yeah, so um, yeah, but um, yeah, they used to, used to have like uh, Roy Chubby Brown, Jim Davidson. Uh, I don't think Bernard Manning was even back then was on was, telly. I, in my in my day, he's never really been on telly. Bernard Manning was out by that yeah. point. I mean, he was. I think I don't think. By, uh, but I think as soon as a wave of alternative comedy hit. Bernard Manning was immediately out. Jim Davidson. That's what it is, actually, isn't it? It's that their dads, my friend's dads, didn't, hadn't got into alternative comedy. Yeah. I was brought up in London, and so my mum was very much into sort of like French and Saunders and Victoria Wood and Jasper Carrot, and my dad was into Billy Connolly, who was like alternative, alternative, even when, back when um, it was all club comedians. And, uh, yeah, so I guess what happened was uh, they didn't broadcast Victoria Wood in the sticks. 
<laughs> and if you wanted comedy, you'd have to. Hide, well, I guess hide mainstream regular comedy would be like uh, Cinderella. Yeah, Cinderella. Jim Davidson's boobs in the wood. Uh, <laughs> they were his pantomimes, weren't they? His rude pantomimes. Twat in boots. I once saw Jim Davidson. It makes it look like I watch lots of interviews with Jim Davidson, which I probably anus, would do. Anus in. That's Aladdin. That's <laughs> when he did Aladdin. Anal in. Um, Jim Davidson's uh, Bugger Boys. <laughs> and what was that based on? That was based on uh, Noddy. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a, wasn't a panto. Right. Um, sex. Uh, th- one of the selling points for Cinderella was sexist, naughty, and totally outrageous. That's weird. Although that's for, that's a quote from the Sun. A quote from the Sun saying, "Oh, you should watch Cinderella. It's sexist." sexist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Cinderella, spelt spelt S I N. Oh, I tell you what, though, Nat, you like racist comedy. <laughs> <laughs> you bloody love uh, Bernard Manning. You should you should YouTube him. Um, you should YouTube him. No, no, because you like racist stuff. It's not for me. I had a friend once. I had a friend. I had a friend once that told me a joke. And we were sat in his car, and he was like a friend of a friend, and he basically was holding me to ransom. And it was the year that my best friend had gone to university. He'd taken a year out, and he'd gone to university. So I was stuck in. St Albans <laughs> and the only two of us were uh, in St Albans we were stuck in St Albans together and we were the only two that weren't at the university at that point I'd graduated and he'd stayed um, and uh, we used to go to the gym together and he just made it uh, just so uncomfortably uh, competitive yeah boobs in the wood um, and uh, he told me a joke and I didn't laugh and he went oh yeah I forgot you're not a racist. <laughs> <laughs> like it was a like I was a bit of a weirdo. A bit of a weirdo. Yeah, fucking hell. But then in his head, he's acknowledged. What's interesting about that is, I think people who are racist have that thing where they don't ever think I am racist. I'm They're not, like, oh, I'm not. I'm not racist. I'm a monster. Yeah, but that's but why sorry, I forgot you weren't racist. But the, yes, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but you are racist. So, uh, so, so, nah, So maybe um, uh, anyone out there that's a big fan of uh, uh, racist or sexist comedy, send in your suggestions for Nat, and uh, and he'll be delighted. So, um, <laughs> um, uh, no, he's not a racist. Uh, uh, just, just a. <laughs> Jim Davidson was going to. Uh... <laughs> uh, so I just uh, waggled my biro in between my mug and handle of the yeah, mug. Yeah, create a little bell. But just to, just to, you know, just for my own amusement, it wasn't for anything. I forgot that we were on a very sound, <laughs> sound-sensitive sound medium. Jim Sisson was doing, like, he was going to do a, not an adult pantomime, he was trying to do a big budget all ages pantomime in the 90s and I remember seeing an interview and I think it was like what using getting his uh, generation game uh, yeah so but actually doing it like I've done the adult ones but I'm actually going to try and do a proper big budget pantomime Mm -hmm. that he's going to try and stage at like somewhere like the Palladium I think it was Mm -hmm. and it's the one I can't remember it was it was like what one's got King Rat in it what pantomime is that Dick Whittington Dick Whittington I think so I think it was going to be Dick Whittington and he was going to do like an all ages pantomime and uh, he was saying that he goes, yeah, basically, I've got um, um, Giga to design it. And he go, <laughs> what, from Alien, the designer of... HR Giga. <laughs> HR Giga. It's gonna... 
Chuck Geiger was coming on board, working with Jim Davidson. And me and a friend of mine have been Googling this for years and found no evidence of it. But he was saying that was his plan. He was going to get, it was all going to be designed by H.R. Geiger. And it was Jim Davidson's all ages pantomime designed by H.R. Geiger. What, of Dick Whittington and his cat? Um, Designed by H.R. Geiger. What would be the benefit of that? That's mental. <laughs> Although th- th- there was that film with John Malkovich and Jim Davidson, and yeah, right? yeah, and I, I don't know, I don't know. I just think that I, I hear a lot of bad stuff about Jim Davidson, but I haven't necessarily seen from my own eyes the evidence. But um, yeah, I just know that you're not allowed to like him, and that, and I don't know. Um, but I don't really want to talk about Jim Davidson because... Uh, no, very, how do we get on to Jim Davidson? I don't know. It's, it's just a boring subject, isn't it? It's just, who gives a fuck about Jim Davidson? There's a picture of Jim Davidson. Oh, get, stop putting pictures of Jim Davidson up for us, all right? I don't give a fuck about Jim Davidson. <laughs> right? uh, so, what, uh, so what have you been a fan of this week, Matt? Uh, not necessarily a fan. We don't usually go negative on fan club. But I have watched, uh, yesterday, I watched the film... Nick lent me. I say lent because he's going to get it back. Uh, <laughs> I think you can have it. No, 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 no. It's fine. All right, I'll give it back. Nick lent me the DVD of a film called Master of Disguise with uh, Dana Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey. Uh, uh, and uh, Brent Brent Spiner, who you might know better as Data. Data. Data on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Make it so, Data. Uh, Data, come. Come, come, data, come, make it so. Warp speed, Lieutenant Worf. <laughs> come, data. Is it oh, it? data. I- I've been watching. I'm so lonely in the confines of space. If been... only, if only I had some companionship, data. <laughs> come, <laughs> make it so. <laughs> I'm spread eagle for you, Data. <laughs> Make it so. <laughs> is it, was this an episode? No. Uh, <laughs> I'm eating bacon while I'm doing it. <laughs> you are. I'm eating a packet of Tesco's. Um, Tesco's bacon strip. Tesco's bacon strip. And um, imagining. Um, <laughs> Some penetration of Deep Space Nine proportions. <laughs> anyway. There's a bit on the commentary for I'm it. I'm just going to eat bacon and listen to you talk about Master of Disguise. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so, Master of Disguise is... Uh, Dana Carvey plays a character called... Uh, uh, Pistachio Disguisio. Well, well, for a bit of, um, bit of context... Have we t- did we talk about this a couple of weeks ago? Or no, no, no. You came over for dinner, yeah. right? Mm. Um, it was... Um, so Mike Myers had done Austin Powers by... Yeah. What was that, 96, was it? Or 99, I think. It was. Oh, no, it was 96. No, 99 no, was 90, the second yeah, yeah. one. You're right. And this is this is 2002 came out, but mm. they're obviously... Someone's gone, hey, you know... Well, the Austin Powers films are the biggest films out at the minute. And you know only one of the guys... That's only one of the guys from Wayne's World. I don't think it was someone. I think it was De- Dana Carvu... <laughs> <laughs> said, I want some of the I want some of the limelight that Mike Myers is having, so yeah. I'm gonna do my own version of Austin Powers. Yeah. And it's gonna be called Master of Disguise. Yeah. And it's not gonna be about an international man of mystery, it's gonna be about an international man of disguise. disguise. 
and uh, he's going to be Italian. He can't really do for no reason, really. I don't know why they've chosen for him to be Italian. He can't do an Italian accent. No, because he can't do the accent. <laughs> and it's an annoying voice that he puts on for the entire film. Oh yeah, so he's never he's never not doing this kind of ridiculous Italian accent, which is like a sort of. He goes, oh, pop, pop. Yeah. Oh, pop, pop. I'm a master of disguise. Oh, my name is Pistachio Disguise. Oh, hi, pop, pop. And, he, and goes, he does that for... Uh, the entire film. <clears throat> the entire film, an hour and a half. Except, of course, when he is in disguise. And this is 2002, and it was kind of like a kid's film. So who are some of the disguises that he puts on? Uh, uh, an Indian man. <laughs> Does an Indian man in a turban? Uh, he does Quint from Jaws because it's obviously like he's gone through all the impressions that he thinks he can do, <laughs> and made like a sort of set piece involving that. One of them, one of them is also Al Pacino, but he's never Al- said he's Al Pacino. It's not just Al Pacino though. It's Al Pacino, Al Pacino in Scarface. Scarface, and it's like Scarface was made twenty-two <laughs> years ago. I think right, I'm saying this as the the world's biggest Dana Carvey fan. <laughs> I think he's shit. <laughs> it's, sort of, it's sort of extraordinary. And it makes it... When I was watching it, I was going, I mean, was he, has he ever been good? Because it's like a showcase for someone who's not very good. It's very much <clears throat> Dana Carvey's split. <laughs> yes, it is. Where he's, he's, done a, he's done a show reel of all of the things that he's good at. Um, George W. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it's just like his George W. Bush is Isn't awful, very good. But he was famous for doing George W. Yeah. Bush on Saturday Night yeah. Live. <clears throat> well, I think he was famous for doing George Bush Senior. But um, but basically, um, he I actually I really like Dan Carvey. Um, but it's amazing how much goodwill uh, the character of Garth creates. Yeah, and yeah. then you will. I mean, he's made a lot of bad films. Like he was in Wise Guys. He was in Clean Slate. He yeah. had like a, a whole career before Wayne's World came along, and then uh, Master of Disguise is kind of like it's absolutely spectacular. It's spectacular, but it's not. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone as like, a, oh, watch that. It's really bad. It's 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 a poor, It's also an hour and fifteen minutes. Um, <laughs> the the end credits is uh, is ten minutes long. So the film is like an hour five minutes. The, the, How is the, the end credits ten minutes <laughs> because long? Because it goes through bit by bit as a sort of... It has like a reprise of all the characters again. Oh, my God. So he does them as sort of like has a little moment with each of the characters you've seen, which were it a good film, it'd be like, ah, oh, brilliant, we get to see these characters again, have another extra bit. Then it ends, and, you know, in the film he has a robot that he fights who slaps him at the start, and that is controlled by um, a, a little man in, a, in the, the suit... And the film ends it's like a, it's like with a, him freeing this guy who's a dwarf, who he then just starts running after, and this dwarf keeps slapping him, and it ends with him running after a dwarf, and that's then it says Paramount Pictures. That's <laughs> after the credits. It's post-credit sequence. Is it is, uh, and then you watch it, and it has the DVD has deleted scenes, and when you watch the deleted scenes, you <laughs> can't work out why. Like it's not it's not really clear why they've even been cut, because it's like well it's not. They're certainly as funny as anything else that's in the film. I don't know why they've cut this. There's a scene in which it's revealed that the dog is the granddad. So he's got a little dog sidekick. So the, the granddad do- is uh, played by who? Oh, I don't know his name. It's it not like an established, dignified actor. I thought, yeah. it, I thought it was Dr. Shivago. What's his name? 
Omar Sharif. I thought it was Omar Sharif, but, uh, no. but in retrospect, it's not. But the dad is played by the dad playing an Italian. Yes. A, an, an Italian. Uh, so it's like a generational. Th- it's a generational what? They're kind of like James Bond, aren't they? It, but like. But it's like a curse, or it's like a it's like a gift that's passed down through a family bloodline that you you can do a disguise. It's a magic thing, because they also get to. They've got. There's a magical element to it. Where they're able to. Uh, Who's the woman in it? It's uh, what's her name? Uh, was she called Jennifer Esposito? Right. She was in a bunch of films around the time. And she's so um, very attractive in this film, mm. and she's got to spend the entire film being in love with Dana Carvey, dressed up in a turban and brown face, and it's just like. Oh, it, it's just it's mortifying. The whole film. The film is it's, it's, it's mortifying. It's, Brent Spiner. He's got a running joke, doesn't he? He farts. He farts occasionally. He's the main bad guy. The main bad guy and farts occasionally. At the end of all of his speeches, he farts and then runs out the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds... I think it's... It, the way you talk about it is I was thinking, you can't talk about this without it making it sound like the kind of thing you go, oh, I'd like to see that. But you wouldn't. It's awful. You just all wouldn't you like to, to watch do, it. All you need to do is watch the trailer, I think. If you if you Master of Disguise is such a... He dresses at one point as a, a, a turtle man. A turtle man, which basically consists of a big green suit with a large collar. Yeah. So whenever he gets scared... His head goes in he there. He ducks his head into his collar. Yeah. His head That's is uh, like this bald, bulbous... Um, I guess it's meant to be... He's meant to be a turtle. He's got these big yeah. glasses on, and he's got kind of like a turtle lips. And he's only dressed as a turtle because... They go into a place called the Turtle Club. And he thinks that you've got to dress up as a turtle. Turtle to get in, to but get for in. no reason. For no reason. <laughs> um, so, my two favourite things about Master of Disguise is that... Uh, the first thing is, I was doing Comic Relief... No, I wasn't. I was doing Children in Need one year. <laughs> uh, doing a radio show for Children in Need. And I was in a green room, and Peter Serafanovitz was... Uh, also on the bill and I'd never met him before I don't think I met him on the night actually maybe I shook hands with him but we were all in this green room and there was about 20 comedians and Peter Sarafanovitz <coughs> had obviously just seen this film <coughs> and he went around one by one every single comedian you could hear him in the background <laughs> as he went around all the comedians in the room and he says hi hi I'm Peter have you ever seen a film called Master of Disguise. <laughs> it stars a man called Dana Carvu. <laughs> and then he'd tell them the plot. And then, like, 15 minutes would go by, and I'd be, I'd be sort of, like, going over what I'm going to say on the radio. And you'd just hear in the background, Hi, I'm Peter. Have you ever seen a film called Master of Disguise? It stars a young chap called Dana Carvu. <laughs> um, yeah, so... That, that is a memory that has nothing to do with the film, other than the <laughs> fact that someone else had seen the film. And then, this is my all-time, this is my all-time, maybe my all-time number one film fact that I know, <laughs> is that 
Dana Carvey dresses up as this turtle guy, and it's a lot of makeup. It's like Rick Baker level, yeah, uh, makeup appliances. Also, during those scenes, he has to say, um, turtle, he turtle. says turtle because he, turtles don't really say anything. So he hasn't really thought of a character, but when someone asks him a question, he says turtle, and I as if that's it's like turtle. Do you think the Turtle Club is a real place, or I don't know? Or did they invent a place called the Turtle Club for the film, and then he went, oh, a Turtle Club? I guess I've got to dress up as a turtle. I mean, it makes sense... And say turtle. It makes a bit more sense if there's an actual place called the Turtle Club. But if there's no place that's really called the Turtle <laughs> Club, they've only invented this for the film. And the fact that the character isn't funny and doesn't work on any level is absolutely unforgivable. But there's an idea where they've gone, this is the one. The thing about this film is that none of the characters work. It's all awful. Yeah. But they've obviously edited every single sequence down to the... The, the, the bare minimum. The... the, 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 the the, the percentage of material that's meant that they deem usable it's bizarre because when you watch the deleted scenes they are like there's more stuff and it's no worse than anything that's in the film and you go <laughs> why don't you just put it in because it doesn't like it's, at least that's a joke that the granddad was a dog all the way through and, all, and it's like oh, like it's it's so uh, it is so mental oh it is a, it's a real thing the Turtle Club is a real thing and right. it is like the so, film itself is probably an hour 65 minutes of what you actually get that's film and not the opening credits or closing credits. But they, they've gone, we can't use this. So every so, but, <laughs> but they can't cut any of the characters. They can't cut any of the bits because it doesn't work because then it's, then it's like a TV pilot. Yeah. So they have to, it's just like, it's just like, it's absolutely, but it's not like so bad it's good. It's just this crazy it's thing. bizarre. But, um, so the Turtle Club, the Ancient and Honourable Order of Turtles, International Association of Turtles, Turtle Club, or similar title, Started as an informal drinking club between World War II pilots, self-described as an honourable drinking fraternity composed of ladies and gentlemen of the highest morals and good character. Right, and so to honour that, he's dressed okay. up as a massive turtle, and he comes into the room, and you're right, turtles don't say anything. So he's like Mr. Turtle, and he comes in and he goes, turtle, turtle. <laughs> At one point he bites a man's nose off, mm. which is weird. Yeah. It's weird. And, uh, and, and, and spits it, it back on his nose. Again, everything that we're describing makes it sound like it's probably worth watching, and it's yeah, not. It's, it really it's, isn't. It's really not. It's, there's, it's less than the sum of its pathetic parts. <laughs> and um, So my favourite fact about Master Disguise is so he dresses up as his turtle, and it's a lot of makeup, and it's yeah. a lot of costume. And... Um, and the scene that that, that follows, um, it's probably seven minutes of uh, of just the, insane. The whole turtles. film is 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 dead air, right? There's no <laughs> there's no comedy value in it. It's not even it's not even funny. You can't even laugh at it. It's just just bewildering this film. But um, the favourite thing is that so he's dressed up as a turtle. So as from a filmmaking point of view, he would have had to get up really early. So I'm filming at the moment, and I have to get up at like five thirty every morning to get to get the car. The car comes to drives me to the set. And stuff like that. So if you're like The Rock, or if you're Mark Wahlberg, you're getting up at like three o'clock in the morning, and you're going to the gym before you do all of that. Um, uh, and then you're having breakfast and all of that before you get onto the set. And if you're kind of like doing, uh, if you've got like heavy prosthetics, then you're getting up maybe like three, four o'clock in the morning. You're getting into the makeup chair. Makeup is like, it was like a five hour thing, especially if there's so many prosthetics in it. Mm -hmm. If you're doing something like Harry and Henderson's, you know, that one, uh, because they don't really use prosthetics anymore. And this is probably part of the problem, but if you're, if you're something like, 
Oh yeah, so Mark Wahlberg gets up at two thirty in the morning. Um, uh, I mean, he's a deplorable human being. Yeah. Though. One of the worst. <laughs> he's one of he the is. worst. He's one of the worst human beings uh, that's <laughs> at the top of the Hollywood chain. Uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google. Google. Go- Google Mark Wahlberg. Uh, but you know, um, yet his career goes on. Um, uh, and I'm not just talking about the happening. So, um, uh, and yeah, he's good in The Departed. He is. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily <laughs> that doesn't necessarily apologise for the mistakes in the past. Uh, he's literally gone on record and said that his worst film is Boogie Nights. And you go, that's your best film, Mark. <laughs> that is your best. But that's the he only, disowned it. That's the only reason that you're still part of the conversation. Yeah, is because yeah, yeah. you made Bo- Boogie Otherwise Nights. Otherwise, you were just Marky Mark in you, the nineties, who'd made Fear, and then what? What you know? Boogie Nights started your, your career, and. Um, um, Oh, I've uh, yeah, come in, come in, come in. I've just got to hand over um, some keys. Um, um. Uh, oh, shall I? T- <laughs> I do you know what? I'll play a song and then I will tell you my favourite fact about Master of the Sky. Yeah. Uh, hang on. What is the song that I'm going to play? You're gonna die. Anyway, here we are. We're back. Um, still eating bacon. Anyway, so Dana Carvey would have got up. Uh, we're talking about Master of Disguise. We're live talking about Master of Disguise. Um, <laughs> it's 2019. We're talking about 2002's Master of Disguise. So they were filming Master of Disguise, and he's got this Tercel Club scene. So Dana Carvey gets up bright and early. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, he goes into makeup. He sits down. Three a.m. ish. Three a.m. Um, uh, uh, they start applying the makeup. They, you know, he's got to wear a bald cap, and then they put makeup over it. He's got loads of prosthetics. He's got um, to put this costume on. You know, people are coming in and having their coffee. Um, and um, doesn't matter because it's going to look great when it's going to look great. It's going to look great. We work on the we work on the dialogue, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But, Have uh, a think about that. While everyone's you're in sitting there. They've highlighted their sides for the day, and uh, they're just uh, they're just trying to learn their lines. Sides are miniature scripts that you have that just contain the pages that you're going to do that day. And everyone's uh, everyone's everyone's learning their lines. They're making small talk in the morning, and then um, uh, about like nine o'clock, uh, two planes crash into the t- the twin towers. Uh, it's that's right. It's uh, <laughs> September the 11th, 2001. Um, everyone on set is horrified by the events as we were all over the world. Of course. Uh, but after about <laughs> probably 45 minutes of stunned silence, uh, reality kicks in and... Um, a lot of money. These there's a lot of money lot of going money. into these prosthetics, Dana. Uh, we're probably going to still have to record this Turtle Club <laughs> sequence. And so... Uh, when you watch The Master of Disguise, uh, and you will watch it, when you when you watch The Master of Disguise, just in the back of your mind, remember that uh, the whole Turtle Club sequence was filmed on September the 11th, 2001, while the nation... Were, that probably explains why it's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's because the, he's there dressed up in all these prosthetics. He must have... He would have found out about... 
the terror attacks of 2011, guy. dressed oh, up as hell. a giant oh, turtle. Oh, <laughs> he, would have, he would have turned up and gone, well, what's going on, guys? <laughs> and then he's gone, I can just, uh, just go, yeah. Just go, start, just action. It would have been like that bit when David Brink gets fired while he's wearing the uh, ostrich legs. <laughs> Earning real. <laughs> I mean, you never guess what's happened, Dana. September the 11th. <laughs> well, they wouldn't know that as a thing. <laughs> wouldn't have been wouldn't it go. Yeah, it is, yeah. They yeah. wouldn't have been calling it September no. the 11th on September the 11th. <laughs> Unless they were in on the job, and I'm judging by the Dana film, <laughs> I'm not ruling them out. Master disguises his own terrorist attack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. it's 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 quite something. It's quite something. I just think it's absolutely. When you see how bad that sequence is, um, it maybe does explain it a little bit. But they use it in the trailer. I would say as well. Just the, cut it. The opening. Cut it. Don't film. Don't try and do a, a sequence where you're dressed up as a giant turtle. You do, and also, it doesn't. The you nations, don't need to have the all those characters in mourning. But I think it's because they haven't filmed enough. It's like they can't really cut any of the characters. They can't go. That one doesn't really work. They can't cut the characters. So what they have to do is they have to just edit them down to their bare minimum. Yeah. And then sort of like whack them together. But it's just an awful film. Anyway, um, Master of Disguise. Should we? Um, what have I seen? Uh, what I watched, have you been a fan of this I watched, week? Now? I watched Peeping Tom. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that film. For the first time. It's really weird, isn't it? It's uh, Michael Powell, director mm. um, of Powell and Pressburger fame. That's right. Pressburger? Yeah. Uh, and they did... Um, Matter of Life and Death. Matter of Life and Death uh, and The Red Shoes. Um, and loads of films. I've got mm. a box set. Um, but I've never seen Peeping Tom. And uh, it, it's difficult to like, pin it. When you watch it, it's difficult to pin a date on it because it's so... Uh, ahead of its time it's so modern mm. um, and uh, just um, pretty hardcore yeah but at the same time it doesn't look new <clears throat> yeah and it sort of looks like classic it's got that very classic it, kind of classic and so when you so I watched what did I watch I watched uh, both of Hitchcock's 1970s I watched Frenzy and um, Frenzy absolutely love Frenzy uh, it was, it's just got a really weird tone to it it's, it's a so comedy. Grim. It's, oh, a, yeah, it's, it is. A, it's a comedy. Like, okay, so I watched uh, Alfred Hitchcock's 1972 film. Yeah. Uh, Frenzy. Um, we, and uh, watched. What was the fucking other film uh, that I watched with um, Family Plot? Bruce Dern, Fra Family Plot. Never seen either of those films. P Family Plot was Alfred Hitchcock's last film. It's almost a bit like. Um, it's got a very TV quality to yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels <coughs> like a TV movie. feels like a pilot or uh, like an episode of Alfred Hitchcock's Presents, exactly. maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, um, and, but aesthetically, if you don't know what that is, aesthetically, it's like an episode of Columbo. Mm. Um, and it's got the same sort of tone to it. It's mm -hmm. very light, very frothy, and um, apparently it was based on a really dark book. And the original script was pretty dark, and Hitchcock was just like, I don't want to do anything really dark. I think he'd just probably done Frenzy. Because it is so dark. And I think that was Frenzy. like... Frenzy. That was a thing where I think when, at the time, people were saying that, well, Hitchcock's good, he's a good director, but he's, he's from a different era. And now we're making, like, much kind of harder films. And he's like, I can absolutely do a film like you do films. Yeah. And he does this. But he, <laughs> but he goes in too hard. Yeah, it's really, it's really. I love it. I think it's brilliant. I think it's a proper. I, don't, I wouldn't say that I love it, but I've only just seen it. Yeah, I do love Hitchcock. I've seen it millions of times, and it is. It's funny, but the jokes come from like the bleakest kind of 
horrible moments and like it's got well, yeah trying to sort of well, it's sort of spoilers I suppose but trying to break a woman's finger that he's murdered to remove uh, the the that pin whole sequence thing. on the potato fan yeah. is just stupid oh I love it I yeah, think it's right but what I would say is when you look at the films that other people were making at that time so you look at Alfred Hitler, thank you very much. I've just had some tea delivered. Um, so have I. Um, I said, we. We've just had some tea delivered. I wasn't... Oh, you were telling the listeners. I thought you felt like I was excluding you. No, no. Never excluding you. <laughs> um, although I haven't offered you any bacon. Um, um, <laughs> it's too much bacon. I've got the bacon sickness. The last time I had that was when I <coughs> ate one of those party bags of frazzles. <coughs> but even that, uh, th- that liquefies in your throat, isn't it? Because it's just basically cornstarch. And uh, when you're sick on frazzles, Marks and Spencer's own brand frazzles, it just comes out as a paste. Um, so, bacon, bacon paste. Um, the films that were made at the same time as, as uh, I would say, so Family Plot is Hitchcock's last film, and he wanted to make something light and frothy. Uh, I think it was probably to get over the fact that he would just made mm. um, Frenzy, and it, um, it's I like a black it, comedy. Yeah, and I, like. I would say it's as good as it's better than um, what's that really fucking awful one that he made with Paul, uh, Paul Newman in that torn curtain? Oh yeah, that's quite hard going. Isn't it? It's just boring. Um, it's, it's like be- a spy thriller. It's better than some of his worst films. But then, if you think of like So's North by Northwest, is a spy thriller, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and actually, North by Northwest has got the same light and frothiness. But mm. um, but uh, I, know I like I like. Do you know what? I really liked Family Plot, but it was it was so nothingy. Mm. And I think North by Northwest could have been that, but North by Northwest is my favourite. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Uh, but then it's got Cary Grant, and Cary Grant is incredible. In yeah, movies. well, uh, you know, <clears throat> Frenzy's got Bernard Cribbins in it. <laughs> well, so Frenzy, when you look at the films that were made, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was made two years later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dario Argento was making films at that time. Um, I guess Brian De Palma had started making films at that yeah. time. Um, so there was, so basically, tonally, Alfred Hitchcock has made a 1970s movie. Mm. But um, but visually, he's made like a early '60s film. It mm. looks so. It doesn't look contemporary. No. It doesn't look like it was made in 1972. Everyone looks like they're dressed from the '60s. It's still got very much London, Carnaby Street, swinging '60s sort of vibe to yeah. it. Um, but it does still have a lot of kind of very signature sort of Hitchcocky things where you go, oh, that's really nice. Yeah, I mean, you can. Uh, mind you, I I was thinking when I was because I write these little. Um, uh, Twitter reviews where they have to fit in it's difficult isn't it yeah, yeah. trying to fit them into the word count yeah or the character count but um, and one of the things I was going to say is you could have told me maybe I was going to say it about family plot but you no because I don't know you could it, family plot just feels like a TV thing but um, but you could have told me anyone directed Frenzy and I, and I probably would have believed you I didn't really feel but then I watched the making of afterwards and then it sort of like highlighted some bits where you go, I suppose that is all classic Hitchcock. Um, what's just weird about it is how how dated it looks and yet it's just like this kind of like swinging 60s kind of movie with a 1970s uh, uh, 
grime and meanness yeah, to it. Yeah, it's really, it's really um, mean-spirited. It's mean-spirited, uh, and it's mainly played for laughs, but yeah. like like pitch black laughs yeah that's it I think that's what saves it though like I think it's like it's so mean spirited and yet it's got these sort of like laughs and jokes and so the the potato basically murders a woman and then he realises that um, she's got a bit of evidence on her and he's got to go and get it and he's trying to uh, he's basically trying to break open a woman's fingers he's going going through all the sacks of potatoes on a moving potato van the killer is because uh, he can't find which one the body's in and when he finds her because she's got rigor mortis her legs keep kicking him in the face yeah. and, uh, and it's all played for sort it's of funny. like it's like confessions of a wi- window cleaner laughs yeah, it's really do you know funny. what I mean it's like really light and then he finds it and then they, he breaks her hand open to get the evidence out of it and it's like all like cracks and stuff and it's just but he's like pulling, he's like gurning like he's <laughs> doing all of the what's the guy that used to be in confessions of a window Robin cleaner? Asquith he's like gurning like Robin Asquith and it's the same era as well it's just really maybe this is why I like it my my (laughs) favourite my favourite I think the most uh, WTF moment uh, in uh, in in Frenzy uh, and uh, spoiler it's uh, it's um I think the, the most fucking what the fuck moment in frenzy WTF I think we should probably get a, um, a, a, a Mark Simmons or, or Joey Page in to do a, a WTF yeah or maybe just uh, snip that bit out and uh, we'll use that and I'll do it now <coughs> go for it WTF oh <laughs> uh, you, you do one as well no, I don't want to. No, then we'll just cut it out. And we'll use I it don't want a, to. We'll use it as a button. I don't want to say WTF. Say it. WTF. We'll there use you go. We'll use use that. that one. Um, um. Uh, you heard it here first, people. Um, so, oh, uh, I was just about to dip my bacon in my tea. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I end up with greasy tea. Like the greasy. It's not greasy enough. <laughs> um, not nearly greasy enough. Um... <laughs> Uh, so the, it's the running gag where the police detective's wife is doing a uh, yeah she's doing a, a cookery a, course a cuisine course I love it I think and it's so great yeah but the, so so basically <laughs> uh, the, the one of the opening shots of the main detective is that he's eating a full English breakfast mm. and he's just like eating it like ravenously while they're discussing this uh, horrible the, murder this horrible murder yeah and he's like going uh, something like not eating at home he goes oh bloody hell the wife's doing a cuisine course and immediately all this French muck, right? And it's got such a xenophobic attitude yeah. to all this food. It's like, um, what are we eating tonight? And she's going, oh, we're having boulebase. And he goes home, so he goes home and his wife is cooking and he's got this three-course meal that she's made and she serves him like uh, fish stew and it's just got all fish heads in it. And um, But what I think is just absolutely genius about all of these scenes is their exposition, their expository, exposor, exp- oh, yeah, yeah. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, exposition <laughs> exp- They're scenes full of exposition, exposition. Uh, where basically they're just telling you the plot. They're yeah. telling you... Um, What's happened so far? So the police detective has basically gone home and his wife says, how was your day? And then the police detective goes on to tell his wife the plot of the film so far and uh, what the police are going to do about it. And what the police know and what they don't. But the story of the scene is that the police detective doesn't want to eat his wife's cooking. So he's telling his wife about his day 
all through the fact that she's in the kitchen and he's trying to scrape his food back into the dish yeah. that she served it out of. And then they play like this. All, all of this, deep, it's just all exposition mm. and stuff, right? Um, they're, playing, they're playing all of this dense um, information over this light comedy. And, uh, and, and, and then while, while discussing, like... Uh um, these uh, murders, these stranglers. <laughs> these the stranglers. But also, it's this thing where they, they do it quite a few times yeah. in the scene, where, they, where at the very beginning, uh, there are these two guys sat at the bar talking about the murders and the plot of the murders and who they think it is, while there's this other scene that's playing out visually in the foreground. And I just thought, I've never really noticed that about Hitchcock before. I've never really noticed it in a lot of films before. I guess you do it sometimes in action films where you're in a car chase and you're driving really fast and the guy turns around. It's always the guy turning around to the woman and he turns around and he says, this is what's going on. And it happens in Terminator when they're in the... James Cameron does it really well in the first Terminator where uh, uh, Sarah Connor and Carl Reese are driving... uh, uh, away from the Terminator, and while they're driving away in this car chase, uh, Carl Reese tells Sarah Connor the pr- the plot of the film, and you don't really realise that if if everything had stopped and they just told you the plot of the film, you go, "This is boring." But because they do it in a car chase, you go, it's, "It's just a really clever way of doing it." And uh, uh, but it's not a car chase; it's light comedy in Frenzy, and it's just this thing that I've not really seen before. Um, uh, but so, but what's really weird about it is that um, is that after he finishes the fish soup course, he goes, well, well, I didn't think you'd want much, so I made some quail. And quail is delicious. Like, it's just basically these mini roast chickens, and he's rolling his eyes like it's the most disgusting thing. It's 70s, Nick. And he goes, so I just what? don't know what this food and is. Then, and then, but it's a running joke, so it happens like three or four times throughout the, the film. <laughs> and uh, so a bit later, he goes, what's for dinner tonight? And she goes, oh, I thought we'd have... Uh, and she says something in French. And he goes, what's that? And he goes, it's duck. And he's like... Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to vomit in his mouth. And then a bit later on... Um, uh, one of the detectives comes in and she goes, would you like a drink? And he goes, well, I, w- well, I wouldn't mind a drink. And she goes, brilliant, I'll make a margarita. What's a margarita? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's tequila, because uh, it's <laughs> a new word back then. She goes, it's tequila, lemon juice, and a rim of uh, salt along the glass. And he goes, oh, and he's like, like, oh, God, I'm not going to like the sound <laughs> of this. And then she makes him the drink, and then he avoids drinking it for the scene, and then he goes, I'm terrible, sorry, I've got to touch. She goes, but you haven't drank your drink. And then she drinks it, and then she looks like she's going to be sick. And then she, and it's just like anything foreign in the film yeah. is unacceptable. And the only thing that you, you're allowed to eat in 1970s England is, is, is a full English breakfast. And there's one bit when he just wakes up, uh, or he's, li- he's lying in bed. No, he's not. He's lying on the sofa, and he, and he pours himself a, a glass of wine, and he drinks a little bit of wine, and then he gets up. And as he gets up, he just picks up... Um, Half a pork pie that's just sat on the table, <laughs> eats that, and then wipe, and then licks his fingers on his way to look through a curtain. And you go like, so in the seventies, all people were eating. We say this, but there's that there's that TV show where Ainsley Harrier has to make Len Goodman eat a spaghetti bolognese, and that's that, that <laughs> spaghetti bolognese. I'm not eating that, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> that's a show on TV now. Oh. What's this? What's it? What you call this? It's, uh, a pizza. Chicken, it's a pizza. Chicken, chicken sw- sweet and sour. Chicken, chicken sweet and sour. No, oh, I'm not eating this spice. <laughs> spicy, Mark. Spicy. <laughs> great show, then. Oh, uh, great legs. 
That's Lane Goodman. They're judging someone's dancing there. It just, it just, just bring up to mind, you know, uh, who we let judge our dancing. Um, and one of them is Len Goodman. Let's read uh, uh, some fan mail. I'll turn that down. So, um, this is a very brief one. Uh, this is from Leech Scoff. <laughs> Pretty good. Five stars. That was the uh, heading. And now the full body of the review. Yeah. Pretty darn good. Uh, Pretty good. Pretty darn good. Okay. That's Leech Coffee did that on Saturday. Uh, that's the fan club. Uh, not quite the phrase there, but that's from Mark Granger. <laughs> Five stars. I've been meaning to write a review of this for ages. Write being as in write a wrong, as opposed to write a sonnet. A fantastic show that's all about celebrating the things we love. Just a two-sentence review there. Uh, one of the sentences was spelt incorrectly uh, and really did leave us hanging for a third sentence that we could uh, really hang our hat on. Hello to all the fan club crew. Um, well, mm, I, I would say hello to Nick and Nat. The, 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 fan club, the rest of the fan club crew really just wait for something to go wrong and then... Uh, fix it in their own time <laughs> so here's uh, <laughs> here's some airplane uh, inspired fan art there's a lot going on here but if they look if you look carefully do, is, is this what they read this is what they wrote um, there's a lot going on here but if you look carefully dr rumack leslie nielsen has popped in to tell ned uh, to, to tell ta Ted, Matt, <laughs> Nat, and, and Elaine, Nick. Nick. I'm, I'm Elaine. Thank you for making me Elaine. Good luck. We're all counting on you. I hope this brightens your day a little. Maybe. It's a good piece of great Neve, piece of fan art. That's Neve Gurr. and that uh, features Stephen Seagull. You've got Stephen Seagull there. You've got uh, Wrigley Scott. <laughs> RT I'm here too. RTDT in the background. RTD2 and. Uh, what's that in the corner? Is that something that we talked about? Did we have another character that came up last week that we never used? Possibly. We are we are we are producing characters at a rate now. Uh, why don't you write in and tell us what your favourite character is <laughs> from Fan Club? From fan club. Uh, of all, it can be favourite character of all time, but we are specifically asking for a character that only comes from Fan Club. Uh, your favourite uh, Fan Club based character of all time. Of all time. Uh, but your favourite character of all time that could also happen to be originated in our show, Fan Club. We've also had another good, great bit of uh, fan art from Nick. Uh, it's yes, been sent in. Nick. And there's a long letter. That which I don't good. know if I can. Uh, uh, I, I love it, Nick. I do question why you've not filled our faces in and you've... That we've just got blank. You've shaded over them. Um... I do love it. No but It's also slightly sinister. But that's fan club! Um, you look like the murderer in Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace. Yes, that's exactly what we look... That's exactly what we... We look like... Yes! 
We look like the murderers in Mario Barber's Blood and Black Lace. That's, that's what we look like. Did you see that? Did you see the barber shop down the road from me called Mario's Barber's? Yes. <laughs> and uh, and I made, it really made my day. And I thought, I wonder if anyone else has noticed that Mario's Barber's is almost exactly the same name as Mario Barber, of course, the director of uh, Black Sunday, Black Sabbath. Uh, Blood and Black Lace. Uh, Bay of Blood. Was that Bay of Blood? Bay of Blood. Danger Diabolic. Danger Diabolic. And of course, the killer from Blood and Black Lace also looks a little bit like the character The Blank from the Dick Tracy movie. Or The Question from the DC Universe of comics. Or a little bit like Rorsarch from The Watchman, only without the ink going all over his face in movies. He was based on the question. Was he really? That's fun club. (laughs) They all connect in a way. Um, Thanks, Nick. That's that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, We've got a letter there, but uh, we'll read it over the. We'll read it during the song. Um, we're going to play, uh, yeah. We're going to play a song now, and uh, and then we're going to go and we're going to go next door and get our guest. Uh, see if you can guess who it is. We've already tweeted about it. It's no surprise. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but if you can guess, it's John Robbins uh, during the music. Then well uh, Then write in and tell us who you think it is. <laughs> and for, there's a big prize coming. Uh, it'll be. Uh, 342 copies of my first album, Hot and Heavy. I've just moved house and I'm trying to get rid of some merchandise. And perhaps a DVD of Master of Disguise. Uh, what's your song? Uh, what is it this week? Oh, it's, oh, it's uh, Friday on My Mind by Friday. the Easy Beats. It is. Monday morning feels so bad. Nick and Nat's fan club on Fubar Radio. <laughs> Nah, 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 nah. John's uh, John's headphones are too loud. <laughs> but just so you know, you don't have to wear the headphones, John. It's absolutely fine. I think I'd feel strange if I wasn't. Hmm. Yeah, no, I do too, because it feels like you're just having a chat and the headphones remind you that you're on air and you're being professional. Simon Mayo always says he knows when he's got a guest who's taking it seriously because they whack the old cans on. Oh, oh really? Also, where's the front of this mic? The front um, of the mic is where it has the... It's a little arrow that's there. No, but don't move the actual phone bit because the phone bit is pointing at that camera there so that they can see that they are on Fubar Radio. It's branded. It's a branded mic. Uh, you can hear. Exactly. You, you heard it here first. That's a mic adjustment. There you go. Um, where is uh, John Robbins' headphones um, uh, volume control on here? To the right of mine. Now, which one is mine? Mine is the silver. How about that? Does Perfect. That, does that right? Actually, a little bit louder than that, thank you. Can I have mine a little bit louder as well, please? How about Nick? that? Does that work? Yes. Does that thank work? You very much. Uh, apologies if at home I've changed your volume. Uh, I don't <laughs> think that's possible. Um, anyway, we're joined in the studio now by a comedian and now author. Oh, yeah. John Robbins. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. No one said that before. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, I have. I'm, 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 I'm into books, me. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm a, a, lot of, a lot of my doors shut very easily, and I'm always looking for a, bo- a doorstop. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's a little joke. I don't read. I do read. I love reading. Uh, normally on my phone. Um, Are you I, nervous being on the radio, John? I'm nervous having him on. I'm so nervous being on the radio. It's scary. <laughs> How's your radio show? Good, man. Yeah, it's great fun. Yeah. Got that tomorrow. Yeah. Every Saturday? Every Saturday. You heard it here first, people. It's every Saturday on on Radio X. Radio X. Radio X. Is that XFM? It used to be XFM. It's XXFM. 
Yes. Nice. Thank you. you. There you go. I'll be listening in tomorrow to see if you use any of this gold. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so you're going to go. You're, so you're doing Edinburgh. Big time. Doing a whole month. Uh huh. What what venue? Uh, Pleasance One. Pleasant oh, one. Lovely. And uh, you are going on tour after that. That's correct. From uh, September to November with my show Hot Shame. And uh, have you written it yet? I've written. I've written a show, but th- that'll probably get. Um, You've got length. Yeah, I need more girth. Girth. That is such a good analogy. Yes. I've got. I, I mean, I could be on stage and talk for an hour, but it wouldn't satisfy the audience. Yeah. So yeah, I'll probably bin that, write another one, and then use the best of the two. Oh no. Okay. Is that how you do it? Not before, but I've never been in this position before of having like an hour of stuff by March, so I don't want to get bored of it. Is that because you did it? You didn't do Edinburgh last year, so no, were you writing the whole time? Not at all. Oh, see, so okay, right. So I didn't do Edinburgh last year. I didn't even go up. Uh, and so you didn't do Edinburgh last year. You didn't go up. I went up for a couple of days right. to um, uh, hand out the Edinburgh Comedy Award with hero, Mr. Steve Coogan. So oh, that was a wow. great moment. Oh, what was he like? Lovely. Really nice. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Do you find, uh, <laughs> you're watching this new series of I guess Alan it wasn't. I guess it wasn't a work environment. That's fine. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, par- uh, Partridge. Yeah. Do you find you are influenced by Partridge when you listen to it? Yeah. Can you can you then undo it? Probably, probably more. No, probably more than anything else. Yeah. So I've uh, a couple of my my best friend and I can kind of speak. We can we can actually talk about our lives just in Partridge quotes. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes that does does spill over into <laughs> the radio show. How did we get onto this? When you're on your radio show, do you feel like you talk like Partridge? Is this what your question no, was? No, no. I was saying that I, I was talking about you last last week whenever Partridge started that you couldn't get it out. When of your... did you when did you start talking about that? Have I just missed like five minutes of chat? I feel no, like I've just introduced it. I've just, just introduced it. Well, I know John I is a like Partridge fan, yes, big time. and that you that it will influence your speech as it does when you listen to Partridge. It's very difficult to not start yeah. talking like Partridge. Because when the new series started, I, and uh, we did the first one, the Friday, the after, Friday after, I couldn't stop talking like him. I do it all the time. I've done it ever since we started doing the radio show. I slip into it. But then last week, the two weeks ago was particularly bad. But there is that funny thing when you're on the radio where you almost feel like you're always doing a sort of radio voice. Or you feel like there's a half... It's half joking that then becomes actual just the way you speak on the radio. Especially when I think you're on like a a commercial station because you... The the sort of the the structure of the show sounds so much like Mid-Morning Matters or North Norfolk Digital or whatever. We don't really know about that. We're on FUBAR. (laughs) Uh, and uh, we are fucked up beyond all recognition, mm. right? So, this is why they've got us too. We eh? don't know what it's like working for the man. Well, it's the same, but we don't f and Jeff or broadcast the sound of people eating bacon. <laughs> <laughs> because, and I have to say, having listened to it in the little anteroom, it's really disgusting. <laughs> It's like the worst possible thing you could do on the radio. <laughs> we are fucked up beyond all recognition, mate. <laughs> the last time I came on Food Bar was with Peacock and Gamble, which dates it. And they were like, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want to be on a proper radio. Well, like, uh, Bolsworth was like, I wouldn't want to be on a proper radio station. We can say whatever we like. You should end up talking about paedophiles for 10 minutes. And you're like, well, there's this kind of there's a reason. I think that is an error. I'm going to have to take my headphones off if you continue to eat bacon into the microphone. Look, mate, you've got eyes. You can see I've only got one bit left. <laughs> there's probably only another 10 minutes of this, John. There are people who have, like, 
<laughs> uh, sort of deep-seated phobias of the sound of people eating, isn't there? Mm. Mm. I can but see there's that. also websites that you can go on to listen to it specifically. Ooh. There could be an ASMR mm. track, couldn't there, someone eating bacon? I don't think... I think that's the opposite <laughs> of um, ASMR. <laughs> I've done it, all right? For okay. you. For you. I wasn't even hungry at that point. I just had to force <laughs> that last piece of bacon down. Sometimes... And this is another very partridge thing. Like, when a track is coming to an end on Radio X, Ellis will have a piece of mango in his mouth. And there's that really... It's always really funny when someone's kind of... <laughs> that was Coldplay. That, that's what happens. It's normally with tea, and you just, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'll choke on it, and then that'll be the start of the show. Um, your your radio show is. In, I didn't know where that sentence was going. You could tell um, your radio show is very successful. How do you do? A, you. How do you do a successful radio show? So John? we put you on here to ask you. Ask a how you do, how it. do you? How do you? How, how do you do, you do radio? Do well, I. This isn't. Uh, well, I would say what. Um, is good for us is that the show is sort of because it's split into sections it is edited in itself so when it comes out in a podcast that editing even though you don't play the songs and the adverts and stuff is reflected in the fact that you sort of you're not dwelling on something for too long i guess and at the first at first you find that difficult because you think oh why do we have to play a song after four minutes or why do we have to why can't we just talk and then you're like well actually that it means we get to a punchline and I think the producers are really great at that. Is like mm. telling you where the out. Well, sort of, you learn where the out is. So tip one we is get this. good producers. <laughs> yeah, but also like the good thing about having uh, you know adverts and songs and news is that it forces you to sort of keep keep it tight. I guess. Yeah, okay. keep it tight. Um, we don't have that problem, really. We um, just ramble. This is probably why Natalie initially wanted us to have more features and we things. We do have... Features are good for that. We features do have a lot of structure. We do have a lot of structure to our show. It's just invisible structure. Yeah. But, yeah. We, you know, we, we do, know we do half an hour of chatting about our week song, then half an hour of gearing up to uh, the first guest, where we kind of, like, do fan mail and stuff like that. And then if we have an extra guest, we'll have them on for 15 minutes. Then Nat's song. First song is my song and Alice Cooper's song. How many songs do you play here? We play uh, three, three or four songs. Or Sometimes four. it's four. Uh, an hour? Uh, two, two hours. hours. Two hours. So two, two, two songs an hour. Then we have the guest on, which is you, uh, today. But not always you, as you know, because you've not done it before. Uh, don't be nervous. Uh <laughs> And then we talk to them for like, just like, what are you up to? Have you got anything to promote for about half an hour? Then we about play their song. Then we talk to them about what they're really interested in. Oh, then, we, then we play a game. Oh, lovely. Well, that's and then, exciting. And then we wrap it up. So there is some structure there. there but is. what are your other two? I'm just, so I'm just like saying that we're ahead, of the, we're ahead of the game on your list so far. Mm. We know what we're doing. And we've got an excellent producer. Uh, she's not in today, though. So, so we've, uh, <laughs> we've got, got Nat and... <laughs> No, no, uh, Natalie. Natalie's an excellent producer. Um, so, what else should we do to do it to get your sort of figures? <laughs> it takes time. Very popular. Man. It takes time. We've been and doing this for a while. You've got Sean. to. We've um, done it for almost a year now. You've got to, in a sense, still not got to have viewing figures in. You know, you it's like figures. It's like that thing Van Morrison said. You got to. You got to. Sp- you've got to speak as if nobody's listening but then also bear in mind that people are listening so it's an odd <laughs> odd mix of trying to be as natural as possible but also thinking about the fact that you've got you know thousands of individual little relationships sure. going with the uh, people at any one time mayo is the king at that i think mm. why what, what's mayo do what's because it's because he's always he's got the listener in mind but it also sounds like he's having a conversation with someone else so he's, you sort of almost always feel he's talking to you 
whilst talking to the other person. It's very, very skillful. And will there be another person there? Are you talking about solo mayo? Well, if you take, for example, like... <laughs> mayo the, out the jar. Either. <laughs> but when, for example, mayo and kermode, mm-hmm. he is your... He's you in he's that your room. entry point. Yeah. I just, okay. it's, very, it's very deft. He's the audience-identifying figure. Yes. I do think that... I, yeah, because I do find that... Um, I watched Mark Kermode's uh, uh, reviews online... And I do find that relationship quite odd in terms of the fact that Simon Mayo and Mark Kermode reviewing films. And Simon Mayo uh, seems to have next to no or little either interest or knowledge about any of the films they're talking about. Well, he, he has the same interest or knowledge as we do. No. Not you, because you talked about a Brett Spiner film for 25 <laughs> minutes before eating bacon. Um, this is a show. But the, the <laughs> you can't judge the show while you're on the show. Just, just, just dive in, enjoy the experience, and afterwards regret it. No, but no, what I'm saying is that you have a, a higher understanding of films than most yes, people yeah, I know. Yeah. Yes, but, but I've got the same knowledge of films that most people I know have of football. So I have the same experience of films as Simon Mayo, but I have all the opinions of films of Mark Kermode, right. which means I don't have to go and and also, I guess that does make for a better thing, doesn't it? Because we just go, yes, I have seen that film that no one else has seen, rather than going, I haven't seen that. Tell me about that film. Well, when I did say that I hadn't seen a film, you two, uh, you and Jim Hoskins, proceeded to talk for 15 minutes without including me in the conversation oh, at all. Nice. If you listen oh, back to that episode, I was sat in silence, just like going, yeah, but... Uh, and then I gave up. Okay. Because you, I, I just said, I haven't seen that film. He goes, oh, well, you probably wouldn't like it. And I said, no, no, no. I tried to explain the concept of the show. He said, if you, if, 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 if you haven't heard of something, that's not a bad thing. Just explain it, for fuck's sake. I mean, most people haven't seen Master of Disguise, but we went and fucking explained it. To Every the time you where s- people... drop an F-bomb, I wince because I think I'm about to get sacked. <laughs> Don't be a cunt, mate. Oh, my God. <laughs> nah, this is Trousers Down Entertainment. You're listening to Nick and Nat's Fuck Club. First rule of Fuck Club is fuck. Has either you or Ellis ever done a swear? By accident, of course. Oh. On air, no. We've co- that we've come close, and we sort of had to. We found a way of moving the beginning syllable of swear words into family-friendly phrases. Okay. So, like, like family-friendly phrases. So, oh, family-friendly phrases. So the F became a lot of fridge-based chat. Ah. Oh, f- oh, the best one was uh, when Ellis went off. Oh, Big rolls on a plate at a funeral, <laughs> and um, uh, the C C bomb became coin. So um, we will call someone a coin on the show to to sort of replicate that, but mm. in a way that doesn't put the image too sternly in the listener's mind. Ellis James is one of possibly the funniest people I've ever met in the real world. How's it like working with him? Well, he's, be, never, be he's never really shaping that side of himself. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably to boost my ego. I remember the first time I met Ellis was uh, in Wales after a gig, maybe it was a Brecon gig for Henry Widdicombe. Uh, Josh Widdicombe was there. I was there. Maybe Henry Widdicombe was there. Uh, Sean Harris was uh, in the house. And <laughs> Ellis hadn't been at the gig, but he was in his pants. What? Uh, at he, the gig? No, he w- hadn't been at the gig. He'd, he was at home. Okay. Because they were all sharing a house at the time. And uh, we'd all got in from the gig, and he was sort of like in between bed and making himself a cup of tea. And he'd come down to say hello, and he was sort of like in his boxer shorts, ready for bed. And he stood in the doorway of the living room, leaning on the doorknob, 
and uh, he basically talked for maybe 15 minutes, half an hour, and it was the funniest thing I've... Oh, he can talk, man. Oh, He's the chatter. It was just incredible, just the funniest, and I was, I, 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 just, I was just quiet in the corner, enjoying it. What a man. Great man, great guy, lovely um, guy. But you're here, so <laughs> <laughs> we'll make the best of the cards that God has dealt us. If we go back to the very early days of your XFM, or was it always Radio X? No, it was XFM at the start. XFM. If you go back to the early days, John, were, were you like, did you see this as a thing where I'm going to put us, your stamp on it? Or was it something that you thought about a lot and we're gonna, I'm going to really put all my cards in, into this uh, show? Or was it something that has grown organically week by week and become the behemoth of radio that it is now <laughs> that's very kind it um it pretty much i think what's happened over the last five years is we've learned how to do radio but i think when we first started we had a relationship together based on conversations like you say like ellis talking for 10 minutes is so funny and we would have sort of weekly conversations on the phone while we were just circuit acts you know moaning about gigs or talking about other comedians and agents and all that sort of stuff and I, we enjoyed those conversations so much that it seemed natural that we, when I moved to London, that's what we wanted to do, is to, to do radio. Um, and also we're both big radio fans. Um, but I think then the, we, ha- we had to sort of over time evolve way of squeezing that into a format. And, um, but then st- so, so much of it has just happened by accident, really, in terms of like running jokes and catchphrases and all the sort of um, interaction with the fans and things and then the live stuff and then the book. So we never thought any of that would happen. But I think we knew that if we found our conversations funny, other people might find them funny as well. And, how t- and so you did a book tour. Yeah. And you both stand up. So was it because we've had other people, we've had authors that have done book tours mm. that aren't stand ups. And they basically say, they just read a bit from their book, and then they signed their book. How did you and Alice <laughs> Well, we'd, tour? we'd done one live tour before that wasn't book-based, so that was kind of, you know, bits of the show. Not like redone, but sort of doing them live, and anecdotes and stuff. Did you ever see uh, Newman and Baddiel do that? Uh, uh, they did a Newman and Baddiel stand-up gig. And it was just at the time of Mary Whitehouse experience. Or maybe it was Newman and Medellin Pieces. And they, I think it was called History Today was the name of the tour. Mm-hmm. And they'd come on at the end and do History Today. But all the way through, they were sort of apologising throughout the whole gig, saying, uh, well, we, just, we did this bit of material on Monday, but you might have seen this on telly on Monday. But, then they'd, you know, but this is basically the gist of the material. Well, quite what, an awkward, well, what's, quite an awkward hour. Yeah, no, what's nice about the when we do is we can sort of to an extent do little behind the scenes stuff so stuff we couldn't say on the radio maybe or stories behind certain events so there was an episode for example where um, our old producer Dave had this live read we had to do so every so often you get a piece of paper saying today you can win a Galaxy Samsung a Samsung Galaxy or whatever that and it was a um, it was a promotion with Chang Beer Okay, so already, Chang. already, oh. he's got an alarm bell there. John can't be in charge of this because it's Chang, right? And he's oh. going to make a joke. Second link is the competition was to win a holiday to Phuket, right, in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Second alarm bell going off in mm-hmm. Dave's mind: Chang, Phuket. Interesting spelling as well. Yes, so spelling that. pronunciation issues here. So he goes on Ellis to do this, and I'm like, well, whatever, mate. I'm too dangerous. Yeah. So he explains to Ellis about three times while the song is playing. 
It's pronounced Phuket, right? It's Chang beer, but they're paying for this, <laughs> so don't mess about. And Ellis is fine, 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 safe hand on the tiller, all that. So anyway, the, the track ends. And I can see that while Dave's been explaining this, Ellis has been on his phone underneath <laughs> looking at, like, Neil Kinnock's Wikipedia page or something. <laughs> uh, so the mics go down, and Ellis goes, that was Green Day. Anyway, uh, now we're giving away a trip to fuck it. And, like, Dave's face exploded. <laughs> and Ellis was like, what? What I thought it was being... That's what you said, wasn't it? And he was like, no, that was actually the, the opposite of what I said. <laughs> And Not so on air, Mike's, yeah, 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 on there. So Mike's go, Mike's go down. Track goes on, and he's like, "What the hell are you doing?" Mike's go back up, and I say, "Did he think he was doing it on purpose to be a bit?" Uh... No, he knew that he was just. He was being an idiot, right? But not on purpose. And then when the mics get back up, I say, "Well, that's what you get for trusting Ellis, Dave." All I was going to say is, "Here at Where Radio X, we love a night out on the Chang." He went <laughs> ballistic <laughs> because I intentionally did that. Yeah, sure. Um, whereas Ellis's was a mistake. So we can, when we are live, we can tell that whole story. Yes, yeah. To the audience who heard it. But the thing is, he legitimately mispronounced P H U K E T. Yes, is that how you spell after, it? Yeah, after being told yeah, but, three yeah. times. Yeah, he wasn't listening, it. right? And, no, he and wasn't. had he not explained, had it not been explained to him, he would have done it the same anyway, right? Yeah. He would have just said "fuck it." Yeah, but if you right? say, if you say to someone three times, it's pronounced "puket," not yeah. "fuck it." It's pronounced yeah, yeah, "puket," yeah. not <laughs> "fuck it." Yeah, but what I mean is that the general audience mm. will, uh, if they don't know it's pronounced "puket," will have assumed that he meant "fuck it" anyway, right? They're not thinking that he's saying "fuck it." No, no, no. They're but thinking it's still... he's saying. It's just a word that sounds... It's just a name that sounds yeah. like a, a couple of words, right? Yeah. But I also think that, the, that is, that's absolutely fine. But it's problematic because it's part of sort of sponsored content. So what happens is at the end of a, an advertising Plus. campaign, all of those clips will be sent to the advertiser to go, here's what you paid us for. Yeah, well, do you know Plus. what? Chang Beer, they've already called themselves Chang Beer. <laughs> so probably don't do a promotional holiday to fuck it. Do you know what I mean? Just pick anywhere else. Have you ever heard Chang Beer? have yeah it's fucking incredible it, uh, it makes it numbs your tongue really we they did a load of it in uh, McHuntleth the other the other did yeah. they? and I was drinking so much Chang beer and uh, basically the bottom half of my face went, <laughs> went all numb it was, I it was don't remember it being uh, particularly yeah it's kind of like got this uh, and the other one is uh, Ching Chow uh, which oh, yeah. they sell uh, in it's a Chinese beer and uh, that's absolutely delicious and that numbs your tongue I think mm. it's some sort of maybe um, it's is it the alcohol that's numbing your tongue maybe I think it's the, the cocaine that they <laughs> stuff in um, yeah because I, I drink Fosters all the time and that never uh, uh, numbs my tongue here's a quick question for you <laughs> Jennifer Garner married which Hollywood star in 2005 Jennifer Garner. no idea I've got it come on you must know no Jennifer Garner married which Hollywood star in 2005 I don't even know who Jennifer Garner is okay I'll give you the uh, <laughs> multiple <laughs> choice is it A. Tom Hanks uh-huh. B. Matt Damon uh-huh. C. Leonardo DiCaprio uh-huh. or D. Ben Affleck um, ben Affleck. Yeah, of course it is. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, great. Well done. Well, you get another question now. Okay, great. That's your reward. The Shawshank Redemption is based on a book by which writer? Stephen King, Rita Hayworth on The Shawshank Redemption. I think I might nice. be one of the few people my age who read the story before the film. So oh, when the really? film came out, I was so excited. And which, uh, for a bonus point, uh, which collection of books was that? It was of? called um, uh, Something Seasons, Don't Tell Me. Um, different Seasons? 
if, uh, if I knew the answer to that, I think that, it's called I'd be Different Seasons. Uh, I um, think it is called it's Seven Seasons. And what were the other books in that? Um, uh, the Stand by Me, which the was book, called which was called, it was called Rita was Hayworth and the Re- Stand yeah, by was, Me. No, was it called The Body? <laughs> yeah, it might have been called The Body. And then there were two others: uh, Autumn something. Uh, uh, wasn't uh, at people in there as well? Possibly. There was one about Nazis in there. I, so I only know this because I had a conversation with someone uh, about this in the week, and it's weird that it's just come up again. Um, uh, another weird thing about that is when I read Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, I was getting deeply into Tubular Bells 2 by Mike Oldfield, <laughs> which I still think is the best version of Tubular Bells. Uh, Mike Oldfield there, not to be mistaken for Mark Oldfield, a kid I went to school with. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Whenever I so I had I basically had it in my headphones the entire time I read that short story. So now, whenever I watch the film, I hear Tubular Bells two at certain points, and when I listen to Tubular Bells two, I see bits of the film. Have you ever thought of uh, going uh, on uh, some sort of editing software and putting together a Tubular Bells Shawshank Redemption mashup? Ooh, the copyright would be an absolute nightmare. I think you're for yourself. I think you're just for myself. Just for yourself. Who's that actor? Uh, Topher Grace. He uh, re-edited the original Star Wars trilogy into one mega movie. Have you ever seen Tubular Bells for two? Tubular Bells for Two. Yeah, I think it's called that, Tubular Bells for Two. So basically these two Australian multi-instrumentalists do Tubular Bells live on stage in its entirety, all playing all the instruments. It's absolutely mind-blowing, right? I should imagine that's a bit like One Man, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that sort of thing. So you come on stage, <laughs> the lights are all, it's all like uplit, and it starts, dun, 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 and you're just absolutely just sat there, and they hit every note, and they've got all the, they've got the Tubular Bells, they've got guitars, they've got basses, they've got effects loops, they've got everything, right? So 45 minutes of this. Then there's a bit on Tubular Bells where it says, now turn over the disc. They do that, and there's silence. And one of them stands up. This is in like an 800-seat venue in Edinburgh. goes, so how's your festival going? Those bloody flyers (laughs) on the Royal Mile. (laughs) And you're like, no way! You're not going to do crap, bad, local, observational (laughs) stuff. And just all the atmosphere just went vroom out of the room and he did about two minutes of really poor like kind of street performer chat and then they turn the disc over and they do the rest but you, you the, it was the, one of the stupidest artistic but, because I think it'd be nice to life. have the silence or just actually have the absolutely. sound of uh, a record turning over but absolutely I couldn't that believe that it is, that to me is um, okay it's worth doing the Tubular Bell stuff just for that joke. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth doing an hour and a half of Tubular Bells just because it, the Tubular Bells is in, in, incidental. It's literally just, this is the joke we're going to do. We're going to take something really seriously. Why and not? in the natural pause, we've got a cracking bit of shit stand-up that we're going to do. And just to see the reaction on people's faces. I, I like the idea that they only did that it that is, once. And yeah, it was, exactly. one of them was saying, like I'm met- going to do that in the middle bit. The other goes, don't do it. And he goes, it'll be funny. That is meta-anti-comedy. Yeah. It's like yeah. literally, they'll get them all there, and they'll think they're watching Tubular Bells, <laughs> but really the joke's on them. And then we're going to carry on like it never happened. <laughs> I think that's incredible. Topher Gray said... Portraying David Duke left him feeling depressed. Oh, I don't give a shit about Topher Grace. <laughs> or Black Clansman. Fucking hell, that film. I mean, it's got flaws. And nobody talks about the flaws. Anyway, how many parts make up the Hunger Game? I know you agree with me, Nat. How many parts <laughs> make up the Hunger Game series of movies? Um, well, is that, didn't they split the last one into two? Well, what will that make it then? So five... I'm going to give you the choices here. It's four. 
I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah, it was full. Yeah, sorry. Okay. It's got into the next round. What is the name of Jodie Foster's character in Taxi Driver? I don't know this, but I do now. Oh, don't know. I don't know. You can't. Oh, you can't do that. Noise a good question. I mean, good nothing. question. Um, okay, I'm going to give you the multiple choice here. Okay. Is it A Iris? Is it B Lily? Is it C Emma? It's Iris. I think it's Iris. Or D Rose. It was Iris. Yeah. Obviously, uh, no. <laughs> what is the first name of? It was too fucked up beyond all recognition. What I was thinking there. I'm glad you What didn't is say. the first name? All I'm saying is, <sighs> I just find it kind of ridiculous that um, Adam Driver doesn't know all of the lies. <laughs> <laughs> that Denzel Washington's son is saying on the phone and then he gets put into extreme danger. It would make more sense, although it would be less dramatically... Uh, uh, plaus- it's, it's, oh, it's implausible. Can I ask you some for some film uh, tips? For some sure. film recommendations? I'm, I'm, sure. I'm just like saying that as soon as, as soon as Adam Driver starts going undercover, he should be on the phone as well. Sure. Because then he would know all of the lies that he's telling. Well, yeah. You watch that film for the first time and then you go, this film's good. And then it gets to the point where you go, but it doesn't make sense that they're doing it this way. It falls apart. Anyway, sorry. You can ask me. Well, should we do, when do you want to do my song and then talk about my fandom stuff? Uh, we can t- Mate, this is our format. Just calm down. Right? <laughs> Take your foot off the fucking accelerator. We're not <laughs> working for XFM, XXFM Because I want to ask you for some film recommendations, because I think you guys will know a should lot. Should we do it after your song? Okay. What sh- uh, now, I'm, this is a bone of contention here. You, yeah. you know this will wind me up. Yeah, you know, but I, I, I came in here intentionally not... I'm not trying to wind you up. Um, so me and Nick have uh, an ongoing disagreement about Frank Zappa. I, I'm a big fan, and I think, Nick, you suffer from people going, you don't like Frank Zappa? You must like Frank Zappa. You like Alice Cooper. You, what? Oh, you, haven't you listened to this? Haven't you listened to this? And that must be quite annoying. Well, I, the thing is that you're a massive Frank Zappa fan. I'm a massive Alice Cooper fan, and Alice Cooper kind of um, has always gone on the record as owing his entire career to Frank Zappa, and uh, I just can't get over how annoying I find his voice. right. Well, luckily, the song I've picked is an instrumental, because over half of his stuff is instrumental There's anyway. There's only one thing I hate more than his voice. And <laughs> that's his instrumental. <laughs> that's his, but, no, do you know what, though? I've tried many times to get into Frank Zappa. I'm not like, um, fuck this cunt, and I never go back. I'm literally, I have tried over the years. And if anyone could give me, like, a gateway into Frank Zappa, oh, yeah. then it more would be More than happy you. to. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm not... And what is the track, John? The, the track's called What's New in Baltimore, and it's an instrumental from an album called Frank Zappa Meets the Mothers of Prevention, which he released after testifying to uh, the Senate about um, uh, censorship in music. So they wanted to ban a lot of music in the 80s, like Prince. Yeah, uh, Judas Priest. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. And Frank Zappa was instrumental in stopping that. No pun intended. And um, uh, <laughs> so you know the uh, parental advisory sticker? Yeah. That is directly as a result of Frank Zappa's work uh, in this, in testifying. Um, and there's some great footage of him in court. And lots of other people testified as well, because there was the... Uh, it was a, one of a very prominent American politician's wife set up a group of sort of outraged yeah. people. It was, it was like... It was like um, what was it? It was like an outraged mother's group yes. that went around saying, you're not allowed to listen to heavy metal music. You're not allowed to... You know, uh, Bill Hicks did that whole routine about uh, Judas Priest fans killing themselves mm. 
Basically, there were loads of suicides that were connected to Judas Priest in the 80s. and uh, But not just Judas Priest, but it was a whole load of... It was um, a bit like the video nasty uh, sort of movement over it's exa- here. It's mm. almost exactly the same as that. It was kind of like the America's equivalent of Mary Whitehouse. Wasn't it also yes. the fella from Twisted Sister? Was he the guy who... Uh, uh, Dee Snyder basically went into court dressed up as Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister and everyone was just like, who's this Neanderthal? And he went in and he just basically just destroyed every single argument that they had. There's a really interesting documentary about it. Um, forget its name, but you can probably YouTube it. But Dee Snyder tells that story in every interview that you'll ever okay. see of him. So, so the, um, this album, Frank Zappa Meets the Mothers of, Mothers of Prevention, was sort of inspired by that process. And since there's been another album released, because there have been a lot of posthumous ones released by the Zappa estate uh, with actual recordings from that. But this is an instrumental called What's New in Baltimore. Mothers of Prevention is quite a funny... Name, yeah. isn't it? Because they that's were, what they, they were. were. They were a mother's group of prevention, but obviously his group was called Mothers of Invention. Brilliant. <laughs> Nick and Nat's fan club on Fubar Radio. Uh, it was Tipper Gore, yes, who, Al Gore's wife, who uh, was in charge of uh, getting. Um, everyone banned in the 80s. Uh, so we need to point out that wasn't the version that I A, requested and B, described. Um, that's not a problem. Still that's a great fan version. club. That's fan club. That's a live version from, I think... Welcome you, to FUBAR, mate. You can't do that. Some on, people call it slumming. Well, mate. I call it. I would get fired for playing that on Radio X. So no, no, it was an you? absolute pleasure. Why would you go? Oh, because it's not on the playlist. Yeah, well, it's not on any playlist. <laughs> um, but that was from a live album. I think that's from You Can't Do That On Stage Anymore, Volume 3, featuring the drums of Chad Wackerman. Hang on, is this the one that... Is this the version, then? Yes. Right. Did you just put that on? It Was it there all along? So you put two versions of What's New in Baltimore on? I mean, I'm more than happy oh, to yeah, that's compare what I mean. Did you just put it on? live and album versions of Frank Zappa songs. That would be my dream. <laughs> Maybe this is the radio show. The, the time signature in this first half is really interesting. I would say... This is the stuff that puts me off in. Really? I liked the first half, didn't like the second half. Interesting. My friend Robin likes the first half, not the second half. I like both halves. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> it's, do you know what it's like? It's like Goblin. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I really like Goblin. But uh, then the difficult thing is, and this is the thing that Frank Zappa fans that say might, that might annoy you, is you could play two consecutive songs of the same album and you'd be like, these haven't been made by the same person. It's so broad in terms of genres that that's like Goblin. He's got other stuff that's like Varese. It's And and it can be a bit... Too, it's quite very hard to get into him that's unless what, you find an organic way to do it. That's what people mm. say about my work as well. Yes. So, um, <laughs> but, um, but I would say... Um, hard to get into. Uh, this is worth talking about. Um, hard to get into. Frank Zappa... I would say that as much as I liked that last version that we played, the first version that we played, not that we played the whole of the second version, is that it's, I liked it, but I liked it on the same level that I liked the soundtrack to Little Shop of Horrors. Uh-huh. And um, I wouldn't ever say it was my favourite music to listen to, mm. although I love Suddenly Seymour, and I will sing along with it. Well, it's interesting that you say that, because I don't... I would say Frank Zappa isn't up there with the people I actually listen to the most... I will because it's. Do you feel that you appreciate him more than you love him? N- I would say I appreciate him more than I listen to him. Do you like Frank Zappa more than Queen? In in what 
sense. Queen, <laughs> Queen make songs that you can dance to, sing along to. Uh, they make you feel emotion. Queen is party music. Que- well, not always. They, not they, always. they make some of the saddest music. The, the fucking the soundtrack for Highlander has got some of the saddest uh, Highlander, the Christoph Lambert movie about cutting off immortal people's heads. The first essay I ever wrote in media studies was about uh, Highlander. It's got some of the most beautiful <laughs> music ever. Yeah, yeah. Who wants to live forever? Astonishing. A film made for Highlander. You, you can't not listen to it and think about Freddie Mercury. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a sad, especially retrospectively, but it's such a sad, beautiful song, that. Um, and I just think, uh, I'd, you say that you're a massive fan of Queen. I say I'm a massive fan of Alice Cooper, but I can totally, absolutely, 100% understand how much you love Queen based on how much I love Alice Cooper. Yeah. I say I love Alice Cooper, you say you love Frank Zappa. I'm just like, what? No, uh, not with you specifically, but anyone. The, the kid from Uncle was really getting in. Uh, Elliot was really getting into uh, Frank Zappa when we were on set. Oh, brilliant! And I was just like, and so I, I and so I used that as a way to sort of like talk to. It. He was getting into like, he would come in every day and he'd be like, oh, you never guess what. I, well, I've just started listening to this band. It's a really old band that I've been listening. To. I'd be, oh yeah, what band's that? He goes, Pulp. I found it in my dad's <laughs> record collection. And you'd go shoot myself in the. Do dick. you not like Pulp? No, I love Paul. Oh, right. But he's like, he's an 11-year-old boy coming in. He sees it as an just, old... I've just found my dad's old record collection. So my <laughs> and you're just like, what? My music... I've just, uh, just uh, shackadimus and pliers, and you're like, oh, <laughs> bloody hell. Um, my music, my sort of music obsessions went uh, from the ages of sort of 11 onwards, went Queen, Pulp, Lou Reed... Frank Zappa and Captain Beefheart as a double play. Yeah. Uh, then sort of post-rock Godspeed and Mogwai. Then um, the band got into sort of uh, early sort of alt-country. What's the band? Americana. Like uh, Up on Cripple Creek and The Last Waltz. Right. Oh, that's... Yeah, sorry, that's how I know it, don't I? From uh, the, the, last last the Last Waltz. And then uh, Body Prince Billy and Nico Case. And that's sort of my spectrum. The band seemed like a bit of a swerve in that. Well, that's that. what led me into Americana, like Nico Case and Body Prince Billy. Right. And I think um, the band album, The Band, is uh, an absolute master. It's a flawless masterpiece. Have you, have you ever seen the documentary? Uh, what would it be? It'd be what was Frank Zappa's, Zappa's uh, record label called? Bizarre. And what was the other one? Straight. Barking Pumpkin. Didn't he have Straight? Straight, yeah. Straight and Bizarre. I think it's called Bizarre, the Frank Zappa story or something. Oh, right. Have you ever seen no, that? No, I haven't, no. I think I've got it on DVD somewhere. Ooh, I'll, I'll lend it to you. Great. Or I'll give it to you. It's got, cause it's got, I bought it because it had a large bit about Alice Cooper. Um, so it's, it's, but yeah. The Alice Cooper thing with that Frank Zappa is quite funny. Um, funny, weird. Funny. Well, basically, he said, I'll produce your album. And they went in. Their first two albums that Frank Zappa produced are awful. <laughs> there are some bits in it which sound like Beatles songs where they kind of play. But basically, um, Alice Cooper didn't really become a band until they started working with, I've, lost, I've forgotten his name, that producer that they worked with, um, uh, Bob. Whatever. Can, but I'm can, always can up? I'm always slightly suspicious when famous musicians have produced other famous musicians because you wonder how was, much of a producer's role they actually it was, take. It was, mm. So, so basically, what happened was Frank Zappa. Um, the whole Alice Cooper audition thing was uh, Frank Zappa saw Alice Cooper at a concert and it was a packed out concert and Alice Cooper came on and it was uh, Bob Ezrin. Fucking hell, Bob Ezrin. How could I forget that? Bob Ezrin basically was like the uh, the sixth member of Alice Cooper who. Uh, produce them to the. It was like the George Martin, where he produced them to the point that that's what they sound like. But Frank Zappa went to 
see Alice Cooper in the 60s uh, at a gig and it was full of hippies and Alice Cooper came out and cleared the room <laughs> and Frank Zappa was just like I don't get it but anyone that can do that I want to kind of get involved so he said to them he said won't you come in tomorrow at seven give us a little audition and then uh, and I'll see I'll see about signing you and so the next morning at 7am uh, the Alice Cooper band turned up at Frank Zappa's house and set up and they started playing and uh, Frank Zappa comes down with his coffee and he goes what the fuck are you doing and they go you said 7 he goes 7pm guys <laughs> <laughs> and um, he signed them and so they went into the recording studio and they did a uh, they, they were like tuning up and uh, you know um, uh, running through some songs and testing stuff out but like main, mainly kind of like going for levels and working stuff out uh, fixing up the drum kit <laughs> and uh, they said uh, when are we going to record the album and Frank Zappa said oh you just did and then he released it amazing <laughs> and they were like what and so their first album is basically the <laughs> mic test right in the recording studio and Frank Zappa spent like 45 minutes on producing their album <laughs> released it and it was basically this kind of uh, that's an answer to your previous question the whole bizarre <laughs> his bizarre record label was some sort of like uh, way of uh, filtering a certain amount of his income and uh, it's really it's really dodgy what he did and then the second album is slightly better I think um, it's, it's interesting pre- Pretty's for you in Easy Action they're both pretty awful albums Lou Reed Lou Reed had kind of an odd beef with Frank Zappa because he once said he was the least talented musician ever heard in his life which of all the things you could say about Frank Zappa you can't say he's not a talented musician he's too talented a musician to sort of contain it um, but the Velvet Underground and the Mothers had a very similar uh, ethos really which is that hippie culture is fake and as commercial as anything else because you're, you're just being sold this idea that somehow you're counterculture but yet did, they did residencies in the same like clubs in, in New York and just didn't get on and then they asked Lou Reed to induct Frank Zappa into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame after he died which was just a very odd decision and his family were quite did he upset do it? yeah he did and he apologised he said I said some things well, about him I didn't he's the agree. perfect person to do it yeah maybe why would you get like the biggest fan of who's, who's preaching to the converted you know yeah, um, yeah. but then you get Lou Reed who didn't get on and then it, but I think for the family that goes ah oh, do you know what but it was a, it's a big deal and I think if you were if you were put into I don't know if they chose someone you absolutely despised to hand you an award who'd gone on record as saying they didn't like you I think a lot of the times the people that you absolutely despised are in your band when Blondie got (laughs) inducted none of them were talking to Uh, each other when uh, Ace Freely got inducted along with but also only only two of the it was like the new band wasn't it that that turned up for it well Debbie Harry kind of like hijacked the whole event and kind of was like I'm Blondie and they were like yeah but we're Blondie he's like nah nah and uh, that's what happened with Kiss, where the, the original band members of Kiss came along, but so did the new band members. They came along, uh, but with Alice Cooper, when they got inducted, uh, uh, the Alice Cooper group got inducted, and that's that's kind of a weird thing because they they weren't they haven't been the Alice Cooper group since 1975. Mm. But don't you have to have been? dead for a certain amount of time to get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or that, that outfit has to have not been making stuff for a certain amount of time is that how it works yes yeah, so like Coldplay couldn't go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame I don't think and Alice Cooper's solo well, I'm glad that it was the Alice Cooper band it was lovely because it meant that they did a load of gigs together mm. but basically he fucked those boys over a big time mm. but he was young and never apologised so can I ask you a film question <laughs> yeah of course my favourite genre of film 
is uh, The Cozy Catastrophe, which is actually a genre of literature that was sort of coined in the 80s, I think. So like Day of the Triffid. So basically, and it's also my life fantasy, something terrible has happened, but you, within certain limits, are okay. So perfect example would be a Mega Man. A Mega Man. I was just about to say. So, uh, and I've watched, I've Googled and gone through all the lists and watched most of them. So like, that's perfect. Charlton Heston. He's got the Mona Lisa on the wall of his house. He's got a, a 16th century cognac. And all he has to do... He's got the cinema to himself, and all he's watching is Woodstock, the movie. <laughs> and all Why you, would you watch Woodstock, the movie? And all you have to do is not go out at night. Yeah. And that's my dream, the sort of fantasy of isolation, but also luxury within that. I used to have that in my old flat. It was underground. Yes. And uh, I never left. So what films are there that I might not have heard of where there's been some, I mean, ideally apocalyptic or virus or nuclear winter where someone is left with some level of um, sort of... I just love those survival films anyway. I'm just thinking that if it was set in the 80s, you could do a film where it was a guy who basically never liked leaving his house, just played on his computer all the time, and it's the same plot as that Charlton Heston movie, uh, but no-one's dead. And and, and it's called (laughs) Amiga Man. Oh, (laughs) nice. And it's just him on his his computer. Um, um, So what would be my version of that? Oh... Hmm. This is a. It is tough. It's a tough. I wish because, I'd had a, because a primer. B- literally, my example of it would have been the Amiga Man. Yeah, the yeah. Amiga Man. And now, it's going to have to be. But like even I am Legend. Yeah, <laughs> which I did. Which I just like because I like any film like that. But even um, even the road when they go into that bunker. That's one of my favourite When they're all right bits. for a bit. Yeah, and they've just got loads of food. Just, uh, this isn't answering your question, but, um, but have you ever seen The Postman? No, because and that's one I'm sort of holding off because the reviews are just so terrible. But is it all right? No, I've seen bits of The Postman, and I'm a big Kevin Costner apologist, I guess, now, mm. uh, because apparently no one's allowed to like Kevin Costner. All of his good films are shit films. I love Dance with Wolves. And I saw Robin Hood this week. Anyway, The Postman is a weird film because it starts off and you think, I know where this film's going. And then it goes absolutely fucking mental. It goes into sort of like uh, uh, Bill Patton doing Shakespeare recreations. It's just the most self-indulgent piece of shit. Um, Have have you seen... um, There's a film with Saoirse Ronan called City of Ember. It's also got Bill Bill Murray in it. Which oh, has no. got a cast and a sort of an aesthetic that you think this should have been done quite well. Um, it's sort of slightly Roald Dahlish in a vision of the future uh, in this sort of um, uh, sort of cordoned off city where Bill Murray is a corrupt mayor. And also, have you seen Snowpiercer? No. So that's where like uh, the whole <laughs> is world that is. Chris Evans, not that one. I it? can't remember, but it's got um, the whole world is frozen apart from a train, a train that's going around yeah, the world. Chris Evans, yeah. yeah. Um, We've got to do this. I guess. I guess it would be maybe Escape from New York or Escape from LA. Okay. And my fantasy would be uh, being uh, Snake Plissken. So those two are good ones where people have got King basically thugs. lots of booze, <laughs> but they can't go outside. That's what I want my life to the be. The thing. 
Yeah. Do you know what my all-time fantasy would be? Yeah. Would be in something like 28 Days Later and doing a supermarket sweep. Yes, trapped yes. in a pub. That's my fantasy. That's what but, I think about. But it, would be, it wouldn't be a supermarket sweep. It would be uh, mid-90s to 2000s and it would be HMV. We've got to do this quiz. Yeah, we're doing the quiz. So this is better or worse, John, and I give you a series of names and you have to say whether the next person is better or worse than the person before based entirely on my own opinion. Without knowing the next person. Just, I'll tell you the next person. The Starting game. off with... Julie Walters Yeah Chris Pratt Better or worse than Julie Walters Based on my opinion Don't really know who Chris Pratt is So I'm going uh, worse He is worse Nicole Kidman Better or worse than Chris Pratt Better Better she is Daniel Craig Better or worse 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 yeah Diana Ross Better or worse than Uh, Daniel Craig Better Better Better. Although was best friends with Michael Jackson Uh, (laughs) Jonah Hill Better or worse than Diana Ross Um, I think probably Better now, worse then. Yeah, well, yeah, I think he's worse in general in the whole sphere. Yeah. William Shatner, better or worse than Jonah Hill? As a performer or an actor or a person? Uh, As a person. Uh, better. Better, I reckon. He's an awful man. <laughs> Simon Pegg, better or worse than William Shatner? Worse. I, I find his comic asides in Star Trek very grating <laughs> and also in Mission I like Impossible. him. He could be a high card. Worse. He's worse than William also, Shatner. Also, The World's End... Is the greatest crime? You know, I was talking about bad artistic decisions with Tubular Bells for Two. When that film goes goes from being the best film I've ever seen about pub nostalgia into a crappy little comic book thing, Can I was have absolutely to contain heartbroken. Contain my guess now and rattle through it, John. Okay, sure. Okay, he's worse. Michael Caine, better or worse than better. Simon Pegg? Better. Emily Blunt, better or worse Hang than on, Michael Caine? Michael Caine, better or worse than Simon Pegg? Yeah, yeah, yeah better. Uh, Emily Blunt, better. I'm going to say worse. Okay. Than Michael Kay, I love Mary Blunt. Sure. I love her. Wolfman. Is That's that it? it. What's this? Seven. Sorry, I talked for quite seven. a lot of no, 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 not a problem. You, I could have got, got highest. I could have got, got highest seven. score if I hadn't at all. Uh, no, you got a seven. You got a seven. But uh, so you, you you join with seven. Hayley Campbell, Brett Goldstein, Tom Goodman, Hill, Charlie Higson, Matthew Holness, Tim Foskey, Laura Lex, Esther Smith, stake, Ian Smith, Josh Whitcomb, Charlie Lockwood, seven. And I Although won. you are not as good as John Niven, Sean Harris, with ten. Oh Daniel God, Cook, I'm Daniel Lawrence Taylor, Michael Legg, Solomon Graham, nine. Claudia Blakely, Jordan Brooks, Suze Kemp, Rebecca Charles, Mark Smith, Carl Theobald with eight. Uh, but you are better than Drunk Women Solving Crimes with six. Uh, Colin Holt, Andy quiz. Kindler, Merrick Larwood, Lucy Porter, Richard Sandling, uh, Mark Simmons, David Trent with six. Uh, yeah, uh, Yasmin Apricrum, uh, Rob Deering with five. Uh, Jack Barry, Bunny Galore, Taylor Glenn, and Katie Wilkins with Thanks three. With me. four. And thank Sam you. Ashurst with three. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for listening. And uh, now we are leaving the studio. Uh, okay, we'll play that one. Uh, um. <laughs> You've been listening to a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com.